1: To another uh, transoceanic edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball, the now union inclusive minor league baseball. My name is Tyler Maughan, alongside not literally, but virtually, Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hill, who are literally alongside each other in New York City. Gents, what's going on? How are you? I can't see you.
0: You you can't see us because we've decided <laughs> to turn off our videos for this one just because the uh, cables that are carrying our connection right. across the uh, the transatlantic, um, you know we we, th- we figured it would be easier if we did it without video. Not that that matters to anybody there, but
1: we're doing this uh, podcast on an old telegraph line from the Gilded
0: Age. We should have we should have just hooked up two tin cans and <laughs> still done it through our laptops, but gave it that real tinny feel. Um, I can I'm sure the, that would be a wonderful experience
1: that I use on, uh, on ghost of the Miners every week, the old time radio effect.
0: There we go. There we go. But yeah, no, things are, things are generally good here. Uh, you know, we're, we're closing down the double a season. We're now in the high a and single a playoffs. Um, and you know, we're, we're still we're in that in-between period where some people are in the postseason, Some people are still in the regular season, but it's, uh, you know, it's a good time for minor league baseball. Ben, how's it going?
2: Yeah, it's going all right. Some people are just done. <laughs> They're just done. Nothing going. Uh, so, you know, it really depends on who you are. But Sam's right. It is a very strange time right now with the uh, your, your season might be over. You might be in the playoffs. You might be in the regular season. You might be in the regular season knowing you're not going to be in the playoffs. You might be in the regular season knowing you're going to be in the playoffs. You might be in the regular season wondering whether you can get in the playoffs. There is so much ambiguity during this time of year. So many swirling, interconnected realities juxtaposed upon one another into a whirling swirl of humanity that we call minor league baseball.
3: You
1: know, I, um, neither of us could have said it better ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and with that, we welcome you into this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. You can get in touch with us podcast at milb.com. Uh, you can find Sam and Ben on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, milb. And at Ben's Biz. And uh, without further ado, let's dive into the big news item of the week from our good buddy Mark Feinsand at MLB.com. Quote, minor league players officially joined the MLB Players Association Wednesday after Major League Baseball voluntarily recognized the union as the players' bargaining representatives. Less than one week after Commissioner Rob Manfred said the league was prepared to execute an agreement on voluntary recognition, an arbitrator certified the players' union authorization cards, making it official. There is a a quote from MLB, uh, a league spokesperson, saying in a statement, uh, quote, We respect the right of workers to decide for themselves whether to unionize. Based Based on the authorization cards gathered, MLB has voluntarily and promptly recognized the MLBPA as the representatives of minor league players. We are hopeful that a timely and fair collective bargaining agreement will be reached that is good for the game, minor league players, and our fans. Um, fellas, you and I have worked uh, in minor league baseball for quite some time. This term gets thrown around a lot uh, in the world today. This is a what a watershed moment truly refers to. This is a transformative moment uh, in the game of baseball, in the treatment of minor league players, uh, and in the steps forward for the game. Um, this is massive. I mean, it's something that uh, you know MLBPA executive director Tony Clark and his organization have been apparently pushing for for quite some time behind the scenes. Um, kudos to Major League Baseball for for stepping uh, up to the proverbial plate and probably recognizing uh, the inclusion of minor league baseball players in this union. This is really a monumental occurrence in baseball uh, in labor relations.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you th- think about unionization of the minor leagues, uh, for the longest time, it seemed like a monumental feat that never happened um or would take years and years and years and it has taken years and years and years uh but there are also lots of questions along the way what would it look like would they be part of the ml association would they be their own thing would if they were part of the players association how that work and and we're starting to get some answers here i think you're right in saying that this is a watershed moment. It's also another step in what is going to be a multi-step process. Um, one thing I want to highlight that you mentioned there, Tyler, is yes, MLB recognized that the MLBPA is the bargaining unit of minor league players now. What makes up that bargaining unit? Going to be all players in the minor leagues once you sign? Is it going to be only domestic players? Are DA players because there's you know some. Issues there with international labor law. Um, There's a lot of questions we still don't have answers to. And I think the big one is, and you talked about it there, the collective bargaining agreement. The fact that they are now a union means now that the two sides are going to go back and forth on what a CBA looks like. We've obviously seen this now for decades on the major leagues, the minor league side, similar thing. Um, Is it going to mean a somewhat of a say in in minor league rule changes? Um, We don't know. I mean, all those things I'm sure are going to be on the table, uh, but until they officially are, and there is a table in which to negotiate, we don't know what that's going to look like. So this is a major step, but there's a lot of steps still to follow
2: here. Yeah. Including, you know, pretty much all of the details. So uh, we're not going to know until uh, they go through the uh, collective bargaining process, which is very vague right now it just will occur during the offseason but i mean i think think of you know uh the mlbpa and uh you know the issues on the table uh you know when they come to the bargaining table i'd say that minor league baseball players are being also baseball players are going to have a lot of those same issues uh there'll be issues of pay travel uh you know use of player image and likeness um, you know, g- you know, general conditions, uh, scheduling, you know, who knows, just think of anything related to the life of a minor league baseball player. And, uh, you know, when you're in that life, you're really living it, you know, that'll probably be up for discussion. And right now it's a wait and see thing, but clearly this being tied in with the MLB PA gives uh, the minor league players, um, you know, I think more power than they would have had if they were, you know, any sort of independent entity.
1: It is a fascinating moment uh, in the history of baseball. And it's, it's one of those moments that makes me think like, man, I wish I was smarter. I wish I could understand all of the mechanics that go on behind the scenes with stuff like this, because it is uh, an absolutely fascinating next step. Um, There was a a statement from MLBPA executive director, Tony Clark, who said, quote, I applaud this extraordinary group of young players and welcome them to the MLBPA. This historic achievement required the right group of players at the right moment to succeed. Minor leaguers have courageously seized that moment, and we look forward to improving their terms and conditions of employment through the process of good faith collective bargaining. Um, we're in a moment right now, you know, in American society, and I'm not going to, uh, pretend to be some sort of labor historian, but, uh, the history of labor unions in the United States is very much one of, of ebbs and flows. And, uh, we're in kind of a flow pattern right now with the, the return to prominence of unions, uh, across a lot of the country and, uh, a lot of different industries and for minor league baseball players. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it, it feels like it is something that for so long was regarded as. Um, just the impossible mountain to summit for them. And now, uh, and now they're here and uh, for major league baseball to voluntarily recognize that move, um, I think does showcase that there is some good faith on both sides of this aisle. And, uh, and that's good. I mean, that's positive for everybody. It's positive for the game. It's positive for the labor future of the game. Um, And it's an exciting time. I, uh, like I said, I will probably not be able to understand uh, 90% of what happens. But if I can get that 10% down, uh, I'll feel good about myself.
0: Well, we look forward to going on that journey with you, Tyler. <laughs> that's a good way to put it.
1: Um, all right, well, let's dive into uh, to some of our usual fun. Uh, ben is back from the road. Ben was on the road last week, got a chance to hit up uh, Erie, among other places. Erie, Rochester. Well, you gotta forgive me. I'm like eight time zones away
0: from you. Ben, tell us about the road trip. Erie, Buffalo, and Rochester. Although, like, Buffalo. Are we counting Buffalo? I mean, you went to Buffalo.
4: Oh,
2: we're definitely counting Buffalo. Okay. Uh, I was actually in Buffalo longer than – well, maybe not. But I was in Buffalo quite a long time. (laughs) Even if the game got rained out, uh, I was at the ballpark for three hours, and I spent the whole night low because it was a Monday, and there are no minor league baseball games on Monday. So, that was a major part of the trip. Uh, Erie Seawolves this past Friday and Saturday. Buffalo on Sunday. Flow again on Monday with no game Tuesday in Rochester and then I drove home yesterday on Wednesday back to Brooklyn New York and here I am in the office on Thursday talking to you guys and my uh my traveling season is over for 2022. still got a lot on the line in terms of uh hitting the ballpark so it's always that uh you know double-edged sword kind of feeling part of me is like ah all right glad I have another season in the books and uh don't have to stress out about the next road trip and X Y and Z and the other part of me is like oh no what do I do without going on the road? Who am I? Do I even exist? You know, at least professionally speaking. Uh, you know, it'll be at least seven months before I'm at a minor league ballpark again, most likely. So that's uh, a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty yawning chasm. That does feel pretty like a very long time. Gold. Yeah. But no, I'm thinking about the, the recent past and <laughs> yes. I was just at these ballparks. I was at uh, yeah, Erie, UPMC on Friday night, uh, Erie Seawolves. Uh, And I was back on Saturday afternoon. I had not been to any of these three locations, Erie, Buffalo and Rochester since 2014. Uh, So, of course, it had been a while, like most of the places I'm revisiting. It had been a while because there's a lot of places to get to. Um, But there had been a lot of changes at that ballpark uh, since 2014. Um, You know, a lot of renovations and uh, really good to see because if you guys remember you know when minor league baseball was being reconstructed uh, was being uh, restructured and some teams were getting cut from the landscape Erie was very much uh, considered and rumored to be one of the teams that was going to uh lose the team but fortunately they already had a lot of renovations underway and a lot of um, you know things being done, you know, for, as regards player amenities that, you know, could get them up to speed uh, to new higher standards for minor league playing facilities. And there's a lot of great fan facing improvements. I mean, it's really unique. Uh, the ballpark is literally at this point attached to a hockey arena that hosts a team in the OHL, which is the Ontario hockey league, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now as part of these renovations. These buildings are literally attached. There is a, um, a group area In the left in the left corner, an elevated group area. That on one side of it, you know, you step, you go through the doors, and you step outside, and you're watching the game, you know, overlooking game from the left field. But then, if you walk through the other side and go out the doors on the other side, you open it right into the hockey arena. And uh, that was just like a pretty remarkable thing to go up to that area. I was with uh, team president Greg Coleman and. You know, he busted out his key fob or whatever. The door opens it. The temperature drops, you know, 20 degrees or whatever. And it's just like, whoa, there's a hockey a hockey rink down there. And it's all part of the same facility. And that leads to a very interesting home run in that the left field wall is the wall of the arena. And um, they actually raised the the home run line this year. So there's a yellow line on the wall of the arena. Uh, You know, where it's a home run or where it's still in play, uh, but you're literally hitting the ball off of the arena uh, in left field there, which is just like a really cool thing. And that's where the team front offices are now in that building, which is also attached to the arena building. So there's a lot of integration uh, between baseball and, you know, that arena to host different events and concerts and that sort of thing. Um, so that's, a, it's, that's the big picture improvement, but, you know, a lot of little renovations throughout the ballpark updates to, you know, group and party areas, the, uh, big picnic area in right field. And, uh, but for all that, you know, it's still a fairly, you know, simple ballpark it's in downtown area, um, you know, foul balls, uh, you know, can land on the first base side, you know, can, can go and land right on the street, potentially hit a ball, uh, you know, car driving by, um, there's still just a kind of, you know, small downtown kind of feeling around the whole ballpark but uh to have those two sports complexes intertwined is a really cool thing and um yeah erie it's a small market and um no no guarantee that you know the baseball would continue there and uh, you know to see how hard working the front office staff is and to see all the work done to the ballpark and uh to see them still serving as a double-a affiliate of the detroit tigers um now and well into the future is a really good thing i think uh, You know, kind of underdog cities like like Erie are, in my opinion, very easy to root for. And I've said this before about Erie, but just growing up in Pennsylvania, Erie was kind of a mystery to me, far north in the state. So it's always good to to go back. It has Pennsylvania's only shoreline um, or, you know, coast, you know, the coast of Pennsylvania sounds like something that doesn't really exist. But there in Erie, it is true, right up against Lake Erie and Presque Isle State Park and, uh, you know, really beautiful beaches a lot of natural beauty in that area as well. So uh, I would recommend it. Visit beautiful Erie, Pennsylvania. And uh, if you're a real big spender, get a hotel on the Bayfront, which uh, I did not do, but you know that's where the, the high rollers hang out. If you're going to Erie, hang out on the Bayfront. Anyway, it was good to be there. Erie, Pennsylvania.
0: So you, you went from Erie to Buffalo. Buffalo game got rained out, but you said you were there for three hours. What were you able to do The Home of the Bisons?
2: Yeah, Salem Field. Last time I was there, it was Coca-Cola Park. That's two of six names that ballparks had since opening in 1988. And, uh, you know, when that ballpark was built, it was kind of a pre-Camden Yards, Camden Yards, a sort of, uh, you know, retro futuristic uh, ballpark that, you know, really helped set the template for what ballparks uh, would become, especially at the major league level. And I say major league level because that ballpark was built with uh, major league baseball in mind at a time when, um you know there were people actively you know, seeking a to lure other teams to Buffalo, and then b with expansion coming to get an expansion franchise. So it's a really spacious ballpark, and it was built in mind where they could add a ton more seating, like a third deck, and uh, expand outfield seating or add outfield seating, and uh, you know make it a major league park. And so you know it's a big hulking concrete edifice and i hadn't been there in 8 years and uh, it reminds me of going to games so when i was a kid you know the, the the concourse you know the external concourse on the outside and these big long dark tunnels that lead from the concourse and then open out into the field and it's, it reminds me of that kid feeling of going to a game and you know you're excited to you know sit in your seat and you're walking through that long tunnel and then the field opens up and wow you know it's it's quite a sight uh, so it, it's a fun place to see baseball and a very unique place in the minor league baseball landscape. Um, but yeah, it was raining when I got there and it was raining when I left, but it was a one o'clock game on a Sunday. I arrived at 11 and, uh, stayed till two. So, uh, you know, I still got to spend a little time with Conehead, the legendary beer vendor who wears a Conehead, like the Saturday night live, uh, you know, sketch with, uh, Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. That was later a 1993 movie. And there's still uh, Conehead, the beer vendor in Buffalo, wearing a Conehead and selling beer. Uh, He's been vending for about 50 years in Buffalo, going back to uh, the 1972 Buffalo Braves, I believe, which was an NBA franchise. Mm. Uh, But he has been doing it for the Bisons as well for years and years and years. And uh, I wrote a story about him in 2014, and I linked to that in my most recent newsletter. Uh, I also talked to the Bisons GM, Anthony Sprague, who has an interesting story. And that, you know, he'd been with the team for a long time, but he was hired as GM, got the promotion to GM in March 2020. So talking to him, and this will be a future story, it'll probably take me a while to put together because there's so many moving parts to it. But to take over, you know, any business institution in March 2020 was obviously was going to turn out to be kind of fraught with the way the world shut. Especially in Buffalo, from a baseball standpoint, then all of a sudden the Blue Jays are visiting and they want to host games in 2020 during the season, you know, with no fans. And they did. And then in 2021, they came back again to Buffalo and uh, Buffalo spent their season in Trenton. The, actually, the Bisons went to Trenton while the Blue Jays came back. And uh, so 2022 is basically the first kind of sort of normal season uh, for the team in quite some time. And in between, they've hosted Major League Baseball and sent their own team to Trenton and uh, just dealt with a whole variety of issues. Um you know, trying to stay operational and trying to accommodate, uh, you know, the blue Jays and, uh, you know, stay in touch with their fan base and, and, and uh, coordinate things with moving their triple A team to Trenton for a season and on and on and on. I mean, the number of moving parts and logistics is amazing and uh, a lot to think about. And, uh, so I think that'll be a pretty interesting story to put together, trying to piece together the timeline of, uh, you know, what the Bisons went through over the last couple of years. And so, uh, yeah, so that happened during a rainout too. You know, I, I saw Conehead the beer vendor. I had a long interview about uh, a couple of very anomalous seasons. You know, I wandered around quite a bit. Um talked to I forget his name, but uh talked to the the man behind uh, the herd chronicles on Twitter. Mm. And that's a great uh, Buffalo baseball history website and uh might get a story out of that as well because I always like to highlight people who uh you know who really go into the nooks and crannies of history. And if you want to go into nooks and a few better places to do with them, Buffalo, uh, which has had professional baseball going, you know, well back into the 19th century. So, uh, yeah, so I got a lot in Buffalo. It was, it was a good time to be there. Uh, got some wings, went on a community bike ride. I went on the slow roll bike ride, hung out with uh, my friend Seamus, who uh, used to work in minor league baseball years ago, and is a native Philonian. So, you know, he showed me around. So it was good to be there. And then I went to Rochester. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear. it. Yeah, I gave a little, a little, uh slightly expectant pause in case you guys wanted to interrupt my rambling. It was like uh, a Paul Harvey pregnant pause. That was very impressive. A Paul Harvey pregnant pause. You don't know Paul Harvey? Paul? Oh, Paul Harvey. Harvey. He's that legendary radio broadcaster, right?
1: Brought to you by Citracal. Anyway, sorry. Please continue.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. I, I that's a that's a good radio name drop, but. I, he was a legendary broadcaster. And I drew a blank there. He was, he was. I was thinking Steve Harvey for a second. <laughs> He's got a different thing. Going not quite on. the same career. Dude, two, two different paths. Yeah. Two different paths. And uh, for me, my path from Buffalo was a short drive east to Rochester. I and I saw the Rochester red wings on a Tuesday night. That game was rain delayed and uh, was a bit chilly. You know, it's a Tuesday night in mid September, but you know, it was good to be there because I had not been there for eight years. And, um, you know, that, that is a team, you know, where there are a lot of family connections in the front office. Um, you know, the history of that franchise, it was a man named Maury Silver who kept that, te- that team in Buffalo decades ago, you know, by uh, selling shares of stock in the team and making a community effort. And Maury Silver, you know, kind of saved baseball in Rochester and they used to play at Silver Stadium before moving to their current home of Frontier Field. His daughter, Naomi, is now the owner of the team You know and very hands-on and involved in a big a uh, big figure in the community and her son is uh, also named Maury Silver and he works for the team. So I, I talked to Maury Silver, you know, the grandson who works there now about his legacy and the Red Wings legacy and the legacy of his grandfather to talk to Gene and Gino, the only uh, father son groundskeeping team I've ever met in minor league baseball. Gene, I believe is the uh, father and Gino, the son. And uh, you know, they're holding it down as the, uh, Lead and assistant uh, groundskeepers at Frontier Field. Uh, GM Dan Dan Mason uh, has his son Cam working on the working with the team right now in a, in an operating role. Um, Fred Costello, the legendary organist, is in his forty seventh season with the team. His wife has been there almost as long as like the nighttime secretary. But uh, you know the the Red Wings cannot find any instance of any. Ballpark organist spending a longer time with a single team than Fred Costello has spent in Rochester uh 47 years. So I have some videos of Fred that I haven't shared yet. And uh with psyched, he gave me a CD of his um called you know anthology. So it's just a mix of uh his work through the years. And one of the songs on that CD, which I listened to on the way home yesterday, uh, is of course The Red Wings theme song, which the team still plays when the Red Wings take the field. It's such like a retro throwback, uh, awesome thing. You know, here come the Red Wings. Da, 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 da. I don't really know the words, but, you know, da, 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 da. It's, it's how you'd expect a hot dog's home runs playing a game, something like that. But it's it's a very good song. I mean, Tyler and I did a great uh, episode of show before the show many yeah. years ago with uh, yeah. team theme songs. We should dig that up and resurrect it. That was a golden. And maybe during the off season we can... One. I'll put another one together, but uh, Here Come the Red Wings was part of that episode and certainly one of the most iconic uh, team theme songs. And uh, Fred Costello, iconic uh, Red Wings figure, Rochester musical figure, uh, still tickling the ivory uh, 47 years in So and so on and so forth. I guess the last thing I'd like to say about Rochester is I got to go to Tahoe Hots, you know, the legendary establishment that uh, invented the garbage plate. And um, you know the Rochester Red Wings have a plates alternate identity. You know, and a garbage plate is just a big heaping mess of uh, you know various ingredients <laughs> that uh, that that the establishment sells. You know, hot dogs and hamburgers and whatnot. But if you get a garbage plate, you can customize it. Me being gluten free, I decided that what I was ordering was gluten free. But it was uh, two Texas hot. Two Texas hots, and they were uh, split open on top of French fries with the meat sauce, onions, mustard. Um, I might be forgetting something else, but man, it was so good. And um, Nick Tahoe Hots, even though it's like a legendary establishment and the garbage plate has been replicated all over the region and the team does have this plate's alternate identity, this restaurant, I thought it was an abandoned building when I arrived there. It is a beat-up old you know, industrial-looking building. There's barely any signage. Inside, it's just counter and some very Spartan seating. Uh, there's a sign on the door that said, you are welcome to bring your gun. You might save someone's life. So it's just like a very uh, unique establishment all around. And my designated eater in Leon, uh, had the Red Wings uh, version of the garbage plate at the game. And uh thing is a heaping mess. But if you don't want to eat a garbage plate at a, at a ball game, but you want the garbage plate experience, The Red Wings have a trash can where you get the ingredients layered in a cup, which is, you know, maybe not easily, but uh, much easier to eat that at your seat than to have a plate, uh, you know, with hamburger macaroni, you know, uh, mayo doused macaroni and onions, meat sauce, and who knows what else, but can't talk about rochester without talking about garbage plates it's a it's a really unique regional thing and i gotta say i loved them i would i would happily eat some more garbage plates i might look into uh making garbage plates at home homemade garbage plates yeah i think it sounds delicious Should be pretty easy to do i mean
1: um ben we are um stepping into a new era in uh in major league baseball on the field as well and um, and Sam, we we're going to talk about this. Uh, all of us, but rules changes are coming to the big leagues in things that were pioneered at the minor league level. And Ben, I know you've you know written about these extensively, and Sam, you as well. But you know the pitch clock is coming to the big league level uh, as one of the most notable changes uh, among others. Give us kind of the rundown, you guys, of of what all is coming and how we have seen them play out in the minor leagues and kind of what the reaction has been over the last few years.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Sam. Uh, let's say I'm in a moment, you know, I think he, he understands a, a lot of the nuts and bolts of some of these rules from a, a player perspective. Uh, but with the pitch clock, which is obviously the biggest, shiniest, I don't want to quite say sexiest new rule, but definitely the one that's getting, you know, the most attention, um, you know, th- that's been obviously in minor league baseball all season. And so, you know, I haven't been getting official quotes on it or anything, but Every single place I've visited, I've just sort of been asking people, fans, but particularly front office, um, about you know what do you think of the pitch clock, and it has been uniformly positive that people say, oh yes, <laughs> the pitch pitch clock is great from a front office perspective. Um, especially with the, the newer trend of often starting games more at six or six 30. And then if you have a game, that's more about two and a half hours, then, you know, three hours plus um, you know, people are finding that they have a better work life balance, you know, in, in the height of the summer, sometimes you could maybe even leave the ballpark while it's still light out a little bit. Um, the games just do not drag on as long. And, you know, I think there could be concern that, well, you know, Hey, you know, we're worried about our per caps. We want people to spend as much money in the ballpark once they get in and we don't want them to feel rushed. And so there has been some concern sometimes if a game's moving really fast and by the time people, maybe they show up a little late and by the time they get their seat, decide they want something to eat, uh, sit back down, it's the sixth inning. You know, that could be a little problematic. I think there are times when maybe it's like, hey, we could stand to be, you know, keeping concessions open longer or we could stand to have people, you know, spending money in the park a little longer. But I don't think that's been the case as much as people being like, and from a fan perspective, too, you know, uh, if you go to a game, and you take your kids and there's fireworks after the game, but it's a three hour, 40 minute slog and it started at seven o'clock and you're trying to hang on for the fireworks or what have you. You know, I think a lot of casual fans start to get really turned off uh, by how long some of these games you know, took or how long they had to wait until. You know, kids ran the bases until there was fireworks or something like that. So I think, uh, you know, fans also appreciate knowing that they can go to a game, have a relaxing evening, hopefully have like a good amount of time at the ballpark, uh, but not just have it drag on and on. And then just from a fan perspective too, watching the game, it's crisper, it's snappier. And um, I understand, you know, people who don't follow the minor leagues and they see that Major League Baseball is doing this and they just think like, oh, this is crazy. This is too radical. Baseball shouldn't have clocks. My guess is that once it gets underway, that the reactions will be as, um, you know, not unanimously, but as overwhelmingly positive in Major League Baseball as they entered thus far, at least according to my own uh, unofficial, but I'd say pretty thorough, you know, explorations of the topic this season.
0: Yeah, I think that's one thing that's kind of gotten lost in all this is a lot of people, at least in my mentions and I've seen on Twitter of people trying to anticipate change changes or awkwardness or what have you, especially with, and we haven't mentioned this yet, um, the step-off limitations. You get two step-offs per or two pick-off attempts, whatever you want to do, disengagements with the mound per plate appearance. And if you do it a third time, it's, it's essentially a block. um And I think people have been worried like, oh, that's going to be awkward. Like, why wouldn't a guy just run? Well, if you do successfully pick him off, then you're fine. Uh we we've seen that been used in the minor leagues so far and it encourages stolen bases, it encourages action on the base pass, but you can't get too aggressive because you could still be thrown out that third time uh without a penalty to the pitcher or the defending team. So all of this stuff has been tested. I think the fact that it's been tested across four minor league levels is a sign to everybody that you know this is not just one season of testing, it's essentially four concurrent seasons of testing happening at the same time. And some of the pitch clocks have been more stringent than what we've, we're going to see at the major league level. We've seen sometimes it get down to 14 seconds uh, in the minor leagues. This is going to be 15 seconds with nobody on 20 seconds if a runner is on base. Um, So a little bit different than what we've seen in the minors. And if you've watched a minor league game, which I'm sure a lot of people listening right now have, and Ben just mentioned there, the crispness I think is the big thing. Because yeah, we can look at, at the game time difference, and I have that data in front of me right now. An average nine league nine inning major league game goes three hours and four minutes right now in 2022. An average Triple A game is two hours forty three seconds. An average Double A game was two hours forty seconds. High A two hours thirty four, and Low A or Single A two hours thirty six. Now yes, major leagues. They have commercial breaks that are longer than the minor leagues. Um, there are going to be other ways to add time to a major league baseball game. And, and we're probably not going to see a major league season in which a game averages 230 something uh, ever. That's probably just not going to happen. But when you're sitting down and watching the game, you're realizing pitch after pitch after pitch is coming. You're more engaged. You're more likely to you know follow each pitch because they're coming so quickly. And I think that's always stood out to me when I've been watching games, both in the park on mil TV. Uh, it's a different experience. It's more exciting experience in a way because you don't have the Pedro biases of the world or the nomar Garcia Paras of the world, always stepping out of the box, taking 30, 40 seconds between pitches. Um, you know, there, there are going to be some losses of nuance. You're not going to have fiddling with timing as much maybe, but still there are, 15 seconds is plenty to get the ball, get your sign and throw the pitch. Um, and, you know, looking at some of these other changes, larger bases, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. There's some talk about player safety, in that a bigger base means you're less likely to spike a player by accident helpful, but I don't think we're going to see a ton with that. The defensive shift restrictions in which four infielders have to be on the dirt And they have to be on either side of second base or two on each side of second base. We actually haven't seen batting average climb that much in the minors despite the shift restrictions. So I don't think there's going to be a huge difference. I think you might see like the occasional ball hit up the middle and that's going to be nice to see again, instead of, you know, a ball hit up the middle that goes straight to the shortstop who's behind the second base bag. That might be more aesthetically pleasing. I don't think we're going to see necessarily more hits at the major league level. Uh, but it will be different and uh, and difference isn't a bad thing i think this is all geared towards improving the game it is a game it can be improved uh the rules are not handed down by god or uh you know by any entity they can t- constantly be changed and uh you know to reflect the times or reflect something that isn't working because i think 3 hour plus games with these long pauses between action uh is is can make for a tough product at times and and this gets us back to the quicker games that we used to see not that long ago. It was only 15, 20 years ago that we were seeing games average under three hours.
1: All right, you guys, uh, we're headed to our interview segment for this week. and uh, before we get there, um, we have had a, a week of trying to uh, tackle internet things in in multiple locations. So if we've had a little choppiness in this first segment, Uh, We may also have some next segment, Um, but tell us about (laughs) what we're uh, lined up for interview wise this week, fellas.
2: Yeah, there there might be, especially in the early part of the segment, a little bit of uh, a little bit of choppiness uh, in this interview. And we just want you to be prepared, not give up on us, not say, you know, what an amateur operation. I'm never listening again. But to say these guys try hard, really. Really, every week, and if it's they're just, human, they're, they're human, and we love them unconditionally, <laughs> uh, is what I want the listeners to be thinking right now. Uh, but we are talking to technical difficulties or not, and uh, it definitely got a lot better as the interview went on. We are talking to Lindsay Nupp, the vice president of marketing and promotions uh, for the Rocket City Trash Pandas, and we're talking about how Rocket City is preparing to host their first ever playoff game next week. Playing in the Tennessee Smokies and uh, you know I've been to Rocket City last year a lot of uh, you know excited fans for baseball there to return to the Huntsville region and you know just intrigued by uh, what the Trash Pandas had planned and what they expect the playoff atmosphere to be like so uh, here we go get ready for a flawless interview with Lindsay Nupp of the Rocket City Trash Pandas. For the very first time, the Rocket City Trash Pandas are in the playoffs, meaning that there's going to be postseason baseball in the greater Huntsville region, uh, Madison, Alabama, to be exact. And uh, we want to talk about that and what goes into planning and marketing the playoffs and uh, just the overall excitement levels. So to that end, we have Lindsey Knupp, Vice President of Marketing, Promotions and Entertainment for the Rocket City Trash Pandas on the show before the show podcast. Lindsey, thanks for being here.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me. Very exciting time
2: here. Yeah, I can imagine. So, first things first, you're currently in your final homestand and even hosting a game tonight, right?
4: That's correct. Last homestand, and uh, I think with the um, most wins in all of minor league baseball for home games. So, we've home.
2: Nice. Um, and yeah, having the most wins, a playoff team, September 22nd. Uh, Playing the first ever uh, playoff game, and obviously you've known you're going to be in the playoffs since clinching the first half. You know, once that happens, what's the uh, you know the plan in the front office to prepare for the playoffs and uh, you know do everything you can to uh, get as many fans in the stands as possible?
4: Yeah, so we decided uh, not to give our season ticket holders complimentary tickets. So we wanted to go the route of sell them we have time to promote this so you know we're doing really well ticket holders are super excited uh, more and more people are coming out just to see these guys play and perform on the field um, we've got commercials we had a lot of time to get rally towels and and make a good marketing plan and put a good marketing plan together for potential games that we could have here
2: yeah nice and um and what has been the fan response so far? I mean, I remember going to Rocket City, you know, for the first time last year, and uh, just really being impressed with just the energy in the ballpark and just how excited fans were were to have baseball back in the region. Um, you know, is there an actual you know excitement level and expecting you know fans to really show up and you know have emotional investment in these games?
4: Absolutely, and not only that, they're staying till the end of things. I mean, seven walk offs we've had inside the park home runs we've had. And even not just hitting no hitter in everyone from top to bottom, from start to finish. It's just is always an exciting game. And the comebacks have been so much fun to watch. And and we've definitely noticed our fans sticking around until the very end just to see what's going to happen and how it's going to turn out.
0: Yeah. and, And I'm always curious for teams like yourselves that you have affiliates with a parent club that's not necessarily nearby. And that's especially true in your case. Uh, right. being an Angels affiliate with the team being in Anaheim, you guys being in Alabama. Uh, how much do you guys kind of tie in a, the Angels affiliation and getting people excited about Angels prospects? And how much does that kind of happen naturally as these guys climb the ladder to Salt Lake and then, you know, Orange County and the LA area?
4: You know, if the, it's exactly what happened. It was very natural and very gradual. I think everyone bought into the trash pandas brand and the trash pandas name and it being their team but you definitely see more and more people wearing angels gear wearing angels jerseys asking for hats to be sold in the store asking for um us to have some kind of angels um apparel and we do have some shirts that have the angels logo and our logo and those definitely do um sell here so where it is Braves country traditionally, they're definitely Angels fans coming um, to the forefront now with with our prospects making it up to the big leagues and and seeing them on TV, seeing them, um, ex, you know, go up and, and play on television with the with the major league clubs. So, um, it's definitely been something that you notice a lot more this year.
0: Yeah, well, that that's what I was going to ask next. When you say this year, this being the second year of operation, have okay. you felt like it's been it's happened more this time around like what how long of a warming up period did that take from seeing braves hats i'm sure those first few months to now at least some halos gear
4: i would say halfway through the season um really is when i've started noticing more and more and even last night ironically i've i noticed a, a lot more um jerseys especially and and hats for sure and even around the area people know that were the Angels affiliate, which no one had any clue last year or even thought about it, really. They were just excited to have baseball back and have it be the trash can. But I definitely think our our players going up and, and, you know, they get a liking to the players. Everyone has these emotional connections and and they want to see them win here. But when they leave, they wonder where they go. So when we tell them where they went, then, they're like, oh, I get it. I'm connecting the dots now. Um, whereas before it was just, why are they not here?
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, minor league baseball traditionally with the playoffs has been, you know, sometimes a tough draw. And, um, now that the season's going well later into September, you know, that can be tough with, uh, you know, kids going back to school, football season, colder weather, whatever the case may be. Um, have you run into those challenges somewhat, or are there any challenges along those lines that you think are more unique, uh, you know, to the Huntsville area?
4: Um, No, I I think we all face those same challenges. No matter where you are, you're definitely going to have those back to schools, um, you know, the, the school sports or whatever activities kids are involved in. But I think our team has really helped us to reach out to the community. You know, they've Actually volunteered to today call some of our season ticket holders and say hey this is Logan Ohapi come on out cheers on for the playoffs they've been very vocal on social media for us saying fans you are the reason that we're doing so well you bring the energy you make us have that adrenaline rush and by you being here it matters to us. And they try to talk to our fans and tell them that. And we try to tell that story as much as we can here locally and in videos and in commercials and however we're reaching out to people. You know, we went to the local bars and restaurants and just asked them to hang signs, like old school signage saying come cheer on the trash pandas. So they've really helped us just grassroots, get get the the community behind them and proving that we do better at home because of your energy here. And that's really, I think made a difference to not only our season ticket holders, but all of our fans feel like they're part of the game.
2: Yeah. And, and changing gears uh, somewhat, you've, uh, Trash Pandas have recently gone viral on Twitter that you're uh, bringing the, the dumpster rap back (laughs) for the playoffs. Um,
4: Did you try that when you were here? Well, you know, I have
2: my designated eaters, so I I tried it secondhand. Um, Excuses, excuses. Yeah. Yeah. I I tried it secondhand. I did feature that. Um, I hadn't realized it had gone anywhere and then came back, but, um, you know, what's your take on the dumpster wrap? Is that something that you consider for, you know, ballpark meals or uh, special occasions or or not at all? And and the b- dumpster wrap, for those who don't know, it's like a, a quesadilla with hot dogs, uh, crispy fries, homemade chili, uh, fried jalapeno caps, chipotle ranch. It is uh, uh, quite an item. But uh, yeah, from your local perspective, uh, what's your take on the dumpster wrap?
4: So the only reason, quite honestly, that we didn't continue it this year is because it takes so long to make. So it just slowed down the concession lines and we tried to incorporate other new items that maybe were a little bit faster to put together and help with the lines and just help still give them something unique as a fun option. But we didn't, you know, steer away from the dumpster app just because of it taking so long to your point, what all of those things that are in it, um, you know, and it's a quesadilla, so it takes a little longer, but we just had the idea, you know, everybody's been asking for it. We do get people saying, when are you bringing back the dumpster wrap? Bring back the dumpster wrap. So we thought, hey, playoffs, we'll bring it back for playoffs. And our food and beverage team was like, you know what, fine, let's do it. I'm all in. <laughs> it's playoffs. We're, everyone's you know taking risks here. Like, let's just go for it. And we put it out on social media and everyone's loving it. I mean, alda I've gotten requests for for interviews on the dumpster wrap today. So it's, it's really remarkable.
0: I really like that idea of, like maybe making it a playoff only thing moving forward. Like, Hey, if you guys want us to bring up back the dumpster app moving forward, help us push the team to a playoff
4: berth. Yeah. Get here and cheer them on. Yeah. <laughs> you want the food, come bring the energy.
0: There you go. There we go. That's, that's how it will make that work. And speaking of, you know, uh, promotions that you guys are doing this week, you guys are also bringing back the Huntsville stars for throwback Thursday, which is tonight. Most people are going to hear this on Friday and Saturday. So the event will have already happened, but, Huntsville Stars, a Southern League team up until 2014. People in your area know that club really well. Um, But what is it like bringing that back? And and the Trash Pandas has become such an identifiable minor league identity. But now to go back to the Stars, which I'm sure, you know, was just as popular as an identity to that area.
4: You know, it definitely brings nostalgia back to the ballpark. And our fans love the Trash Pandas, but they still have that liking and that, um, you know, That memory of the stars so when we mix the two together and we bring it back they're super excited we have um, former employees of the Huntsville stars coming tonight because they want to come here and and feel like they're back in the game again, um, to some extent. So there's definitely a large group of them. Whoever is in the area with their families are all coming. We've got four former players that are coming out and they're doing first pitches and they're signing autographs and they're taking pictures. And they feel like they're, in a sense, also back in the game. And whereas they maybe don't get the, the ask for autographs all the time in their normal lives. This is a chance where we're highlighting them again and they're you know basking in their glory. And we have definitely even had our players ask if they could buy our jerseys for tonight. Because they think they're just so cool and unique, and you know, some of our players are from the South here, and um, you know, they've they've just thought it's it's a really neat idea and really cool tie-in. So, we have obviously the jersey auction happening for charity, and we said, well, if you want to buy it, you can bid on it. So <laughs> here it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, all of our staff purchase jerseys. Um, you know, everyone's real excited about the, the connection.
0: Yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm, I'm really excited just to just see those uniforms back on the field um, with, with like the raccoon still included. There are some nice mm-hmm. modern touches to them, but uh, they look really nice on social media now. So it'd be cool to see them on the field. I want to zoom out a little bit here now, too. We were talking about this being the second season and now you guys are are getting into the postseason and what that's like and some of the adjustments. But it, I feel like when a team undergoes a rebrand or undergoes a second si- season in a new place, it's that second year that really crystallizes the identity. Um, obviously a lot of people were infatuated by the trash pr- pandas brand when it first came out. Now they've had a little bit of time to get used to it as we're closing out 2022. Now, what do you feel like the rocket city brand is really crystallized into like, what does it mean for double baseball in that area?
4: I mean, for us in this area, it is definitely the hometown team, and it is now the team to come and see. Uh, we are the staple of all of town Madison. Everyone knows who the trash pandas are. They may not have come to a game yet, but they probably have the gear. And our store, we have an off-site store that is visited by you know people that are out of town, and they're just here visiting, or they're here for work, or whatever that might be, and they visit the store, and they say, hold on, is this are really a team like this is an amazing logo amazing jersey so all of the people still coming in seeing it are excited about it but here locally everyone has embraced like this is their team um you know whereas the Huntsville Stars last year was still you know a thing for people and they still questioned like, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Now, all the people, even if they've never been here, are like, oh, my gosh, it's so fun. I have to get out there. I haven't had a chance yet. Or I've been out. It's amazing. I have to go back. You will do a fantastic job from bringing the energy to the affordability. Um, you know, we are a whole nother level um, than what they were used to with the Huntsville Stars or what they've experienced with other teams, even in our league. Um, I think we've really stepped up from an entertainment standpoint and really tried to, to make this just an exciting place to be, whether you like baseball, don't like baseball, you know, like fireworks or not, you're just having a great time.
2: And Lindsay, to close things out, um, you know, to talk about your background personally, you know, you have Pennsylvania roots and spent a long time, you know, over a decade with the Lehigh Valley iron pigs. Uh, What have been some of the biggest differences for you or biggest adjustments for you, um, you know, going from Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania's baseball culture to to Alabama, has there been uh, specific things that have really stood out that uh, you know that, that really highlight the regional differences?
4: Um, I think definitely Sunday games are a little bit later of a crowd, and we have to do later games. One, because church is a, is a much more part of an ingrained lifestyle here but also it's really hot. So the humidity and the heat on a Sunday is almost unbearable if you're trying to do a one o'clock game. So we tried 235 for some games this year. And even next year, we're going to 405 in the the dead heat of the summer. Um, so that's definitely something I learned really quickly. Um, I think Our fans like a 635 game. I think 705 would be a little late here. Like things close a little earlier down in the South. Um, So I think that that's also something that was a little surprising for me, but any kind of holiday, like 4th of July or military, this is a huge military town. So anything we do around like defense or the military or appreciations, like people are all in and they, they love um, really representing anything military, which is, because the redstone arsenal is right next door to us and it's the biggest army base here in the country, I believe. So, um, you know, definitely a lot of, of appreciation and respect towards generals. And, you know, I, to me, I came down in, in a person as a person, but here it's like, no, that's the general of the army. Like he controls all of every move that the army makes. Like, oh, okay. A little different, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that the military, the, the, the heat and the earlier, evening games because people do, you know, things do shut down a little earlier here just in general.
2: Well, hopefully the top brass and the privates and the civilians alike will be uh, (laughs) coming out to the ballpark uh, to support the trash pandas in the playoffs, getting their dumpster wraps. And uh, (laughs) that first home game is uh, September 22nd uh, versus the Tennessee Smokies. So uh, yeah, it'll be exciting to see how they do. Been one of the best teams in uh, in the league all season and uh, sure to be some good energy there at Toyota field. Uh, Lindsay Nupp, Vice President of Marketing, Promotions, and Entertainment with the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Thanks so much for being here on the show before the show podcast.
4: Thank you so much. Have a great day.
1: We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua
3: Jackson. <laughs> in which all of you out there in radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One is dearly missed. The others are pure myth. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor baseball teams did at one time exist. A, the Chrisfield Crabbers. B The Pacifica Prawners. C, the Bayville Oyster Boys! You have a right to be crabby if you didn't pick A, the Crisfield Crabbers, who came out of their shell in the 1920s and briefly resurfaced for the 1937 season. We could go on and on about the Crabbers, but you'll have to settle for Chesapeake of the franchise. Representing the southernmost incorporated city in the state of Maryland, the Crabbers were a dependable but not sure thing in the Eastern Shore League, debuting with a third-place finish in the circuit's inaugural season of 22. Crisfield kept clinging more or less to the center of the pack over the next few years, with Crabbers fans getting steamed by the winning ways of Jiggs Donahue's Dover Senators and Pope Whalen's Partsley Spuds. It seemed like any time the Crabbers tried to give the standings a fresh feel, somebody like the Cambridge Canners would preserve the status quo. But, in 1926, the Crabbers netted a crown, making Crisfield the city of King Crabbers. That season, when the Crabbers were in hot water, they eventually put the pinch back on their opponents. For example, although Salisbury no-hit the Crisfield 9 on July 18, the Crabbers walked it back six weeks later, when Bill Everham, ever reliable and ever a Crabber, no-hit Salisbury for Crisfield on August 27. Those champion Crabbers were captained by Dan Tesquella who would return to skipper the Crisfield Club not only the next year, but once again after an eight-year period when the whole circuit was underwater and out of sight, when the Crabbers regenerated along with the rest of the Eastern Shore League in 1937. Just as soon as the tide appeared to be ebbing for a shore league rebirth in January of that year, Pescuela, who'd apparently been absent from pro ball since the Crabbers' last leg in 28, save for playing in the Middle Atlantic League in 1930, represented a possible new Chris Field franchise at a meeting also attended by Frank Homerun Baker, who represented Easton. When the season started, Baker's Easton Club bakered and Easted the Crabbers right up as did almost the whole league. Chris Field went 40-57, and 57, finishing 7th out of eight. But don't blame Pasquella. He was fired by team sponsor Robert M. Clark on July 13, after the Crabbers had won 15 out of their last 19. Neither he nor the Crabbers came back to the Miners in 38, or ever after, but fans can still visit the Eastern Shore League Hall of Fame at the Delmarva Shorebirds Purdue Stadium. And that's how the Crabbers got boiled. Now, on to the question for next time Which of these colorful clubs provoked excitement in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Vermilion Hip Hoorahs. B. The Orange Hoo Hoos. C. The Blue Hill Yip Chippers. Want to know the answer? Shout one out, or tune the next ghost of the miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is going apple picking, and he's going to spoil the whole barrel.
1: Big thanks to, uh, your pal and ours, Josh Jackson, for stopping by. Uh, Josh got a chance to to go off and uh, bike his way around the uh, the extreme northeast last week, so it's good to have his dulcet tones back on the show this week. Um, it is minor league baseball playoff time. And as Sam noted early on in the show, we're coming out of the end of some of the minor league uh, campaigns already into the postseason and through the postseason and some stops. Uh, Give us the rundown on what uh, the minor league headlines have been as of late and where things stand right
0: now. Yeah, well, one I want to bring up real quick, Tyler, because I know you've been traveling around uh, Italy through Austria, now to Germany uh, for the world baseball classic qualifiers. And I want to touch on that in a second, because there's a couple big names that are going to the WBC that I want to touch base on with you on. But, uh, I don't know if you saw this the other night, but Marco Luciano had one of the bat flips of the season for you. I Eugene. saw a
1: headline and I have yet to actually see the video, which reminds me that I need to go look it up right now.
0: All right. Well, I, I encourage everybody to go find it. Uh, the Northwest League, because Northwest League is a smaller league, they're not really having semifinals or an opening round of the playoffs. They're going straight to the championship series. So it's been been between Eugene and Vancouver. Uh, as we're sitting here now on Thursday, uh, and I believe they have an off day today. So it's going to remain this way on Friday. Uh Eugene has a 2-0 lead in the series um so far. So they are one game away from repeating as Northwest league champs um, they are on the brink of the title winning the second game six to five but in that game Marco Luciano hit a homer and knew it immediately when he hit it I mean Marco Luciano is one of the best prospects in all of baseball right now a little bit of a down year this year didn't quite take off the way we would have hoped but he's ending it with a bang for sure and what started waltzing down the first baseline and just it was like a helicopter just threw it up into the air it actually reminded me a little bit Tyler I don't know if you remember this uh Prince played at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame once. It was like all these performers on stage. He's playing, I think it was While My Guitar Gently Weeps, and he is leaning into a guitar solo, and he throws it into the air, and you never see the guitar land. It's it's one of the great cons- conspiracies. amazing. Yeah, what happened to Prince's guitar? Go look that up. But it's a similar situation here at the Marco Luciano Homer. Uh, you see him throw the bat up into the air, and then it cuts away, so you never see it land. So for all we know, this Marco Luciano bat could be floating through space. And just, or yeah, just it like just the, went
1: immediately into orbit.
0: Yeah, it could be like floating above the Pacific Northwest right now uh, in general. Maybe the Webb Telescope will, will catch it. Uh, but that was one of the highlights for the year for me and the fact that it came in such a big game. And it, like I said, in game two of the championship series uh, was pretty big. So that's been really fun to follow. Uh, a lot of these other leagues, they're closing in on their championship series. Uh, the semifinals are, you know, underway now uh in the midwest league in the south atlantic league in the the single a league as well the california league the carolina league uh none of these places really have a definitive finals set yet um so continue to follow that stuff we will probably be talking about actual champions by the time we get here next week i'm really excited to tune in tonight uh tink Hens is taking down for palm beach going up against st Lucie in the florida state league Tink hence, as I've discussed on the show, one of my favorite pitching prospects of the year. Um, He's aiming to to end the... on a bang. Love to keep seeing him pitch more. Again, my big problem with him is he only goes three or four innings in a start, Um, so the more opportunities I get to see Tink Hence in a year is a good thing. Uh, So seeing how he'll perform in a big spot against St. Lucie, Games already happened unless they get rained out tonight. Uh, so go check back on Tink Hens' results and continue to follow him if, if Palm Beach makes it to uh, the second round. But yeah, we're we're closing in on that, and then the Double A season ends on Sunday. Uh, so we'll be talking about Double A playoffs as well next week.
1: So tune in to all those at milb.tv. You see what we did there? It's our uh, our weekly milb.tv recommendations. Uh, you can catch those games at milb.tv and. At MLB.tv, you can catch the World Baseball Classic Qualifier, which starts tomorrow in Regensburg, Germany. By the time you are hearing this, it will be today, uh, Friday, the 16th of September. We will kick things off uh, with a pair of games, two on Friday, two on Saturday, uh, two on Sunday as well. We're supposed to have Monday as the rain day and then uh, diving back in for the, the final days of the qualifier. It's uh, something that I am tremendously excited to tackle, uh, and we've got some legit prospect talent uh, in this qualifier as well. Harry Ford, the top uh, prospect in the Seattle Mariners organization, um, behind the plate is uh, is taking part in this qualifier for Great Britain. His parents are British, uh, so he is getting a chance to, uh, to play for uh, you know, a, a team that has got some ties to his background uh, familiarly. And uh, on the Spain roster is his former Mariners organizational teammate, the now new uh number two prospect in the Cincinnati Reds organization, Noel V. Marte, who of course was traded uh to Cincinnati earlier this year. Um, but there's a there's a good amount of prospect talent in this qualifier, which is really fun.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm especially looking forward to Noel V Marte just extending his season um because it's been a bit of an up and down year, just when you feel like you can't trust Noelle v. Marte as much as then when he got really hot and then the trade happened and now he's trying to find his way through a red system that is just loaded with shortstops uh with in L- there uh you know they all up and down the system they are really loaded that spot so Noelvi Marte has to find his, an opportunity for himself you know playing in a big game for the World Baseball Classic playing for Spain uh, I think is only going to help him. It, it's it's nice to know that you have played in big games before you make your major league debut. Uh, we could be looking at that maybe in the second half of next year for Noel D. Marte if all goes well. So getting some big games under his belt over there in Germany should be great for him. And and who knows, maybe he helps Spain qualify for the actual world baseball class. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, it's quite possible. Um, so do you, I don't want to say a favorite favorite, but like who do you think is most likely to qualify of this group?
1: You know, it is going to be a really interesting group to watch. I don't think that we will have, and my hope is that we will not have, uh, you know, a whole lot of clunker games. It feels like these rosters are all very well constructed to compete with each other. Um, and, you know, Germany is is doing it on home soil. They don't have their their biggest product in Max Kepler because he's taking part in a, in a big league season right now, but they're hoping, you know, if they can push through Max Max Kepler maybe joins that roster. South Africa's got a really interesting group, but they're losing uh, or they've lost two of their biggest guys uh, in Dylan Unsworth and Gift Ngope because uh, Dylan Unsworth is having a, a baby this week. Gift Ngope had some work obligations that he was unable to uh, to get out of. That Great Britain team has ten affiliated players on it. Um, they have loaded up with some really, really interesting talent, Harry Ford being the the most impressive guy. Um, Spain is predominantly, you know, players from from Venezuela and Cuba and the Dominican Republic. There are a couple of, of native Spanish-born players there. Um, France is managed by Bruce Bochi. Bruce Bochy, uh, you know, winning three World Series in his career as a big league manager and then uh, getting a chance to give back to the place where he was born and um, we got a chance to to talk with Bruce Bochy today for about a half hour uh, in his office at the at the stadium here in Regensburg, Armin Volf Arena, and um, it was incredible. Uh, and the Czech Republic is is going to be an interesting one to watch as well. They've got uh, a roster that is pretty much entirely uh, native born in the Czech Republic. They've got one non Czech born player, but somebody who's got a, a Czech passport and Czech uh, ancestry and um i think i named everybody but that's uh you know these teams have really assembled very good rosters and rosters that i think are going to be very competitive um in this group if i had so two teams will qualify uh from here to move on um it's it's hard counting out that great britain team with all of the talent that is on that squad Uh, And man, I feel like this Czech Republic team is going to be good as well. They've been building a foundation for a long time there with how they're doing things uh, in their national academy, the way that uh, they identify um, talent, you know, for their U12 and U15 programs. They try to bring those guys along. Um, But I could see any two of these six moving through. There's no team that you look at, you know, South Africa's got guys who have played together for a really long time. Um, France, uh, you know, Bruce Bochy was telling us today our guys are really athletic and they do the little things right. They play good defense. Um, you know, we pitch pretty well as long as we can figure out how to score runs. Um, we should be be able to hang right in there. And Spain is really talented. They got a lot of talent and a lot of experience guys who have been in pro ball for a long time. They got some former big league guys. On how Beltre is on that team, uh, you know, for example. So um, that was a nice way of copping out uh to your question but um yeah man it's this is going to be really fun uh and i'll be on the i'll be on the call uh doing play-by-play for these uh alongside ryan roland smith the uh the former mariner and d-back and you can catch the games a whole bunch of places uh the world the world baseball classics uh official youtube page and uh and facebook page as well as uh at mlb.com and mlb.tv um and we're we're excited to get it rolling man we are uh 14 hours away as of record time right now. So uh, for the the days when we have double headers at 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. local time here in Regensburg, uh, that is 7 a.m. and 1 p.m. Uh, on the East Coast of the U.S. So you kind of just flip the time. So it's 1 p.m., 7 p.m. local. It's uh, 7 a.m. and 1 p.m. on the East Coast that same day. Uh, so if you get a chance to tune in, you're not doing anything at work anyway. It's a Friday. Tune in. You know. <laughs>
0: And start your day With the WBC World's yeah, start your day With some baseball, baseball class.
1: It's going to be great And by the time The one o'clock game Comes around You're already checked out For the weekend It's perfect
0: Tyler is giving All of America Permission Everybody. to sign off for yeah.
1: Everybody I'll write your Your little excuse slip It'll be great People will be like Who is this guy Why am I reading this Um <clears throat> It's going to be fun, man. And, uh, I'm hoping fingers crossed that we'll get a chance to talk to, uh, to Harry Ford, possibly Noel V Marte, some of these guys, uh, for next week's episode of the show before the show. So keep your fingers crossed for all that. And, uh, either way, we'll have some fun
0: with it. I'm, I'm excited to to follow it along from these shores. Um, it's, yeah, it these, you know, between the minor league playoffs, and this, um, and you know, the Arizona Fall League is right around the corner. We're, we're going to be getting rosters for those very soon. Um, a lot of these games are really important and really matter, and they're a good mixing, a little bit different after a season of you know, following everybody through a regular season. Now we got playoffs, now we got qualifiers, then we got the Fall League. Uh, it's, it's not stopping just as we get halfway through September.
1: It is a sneaky fun time for baseball right now, and um. That'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show uh, for Sam Dykstra, who you can find on Twitter at Sam Dexter, M-I-L-B. My name is Tyler Mon at Tyler Mon on Twitter. And uh, we will, I mean, I'll maybe be talking to you from Germany this week, depending on if you get a chance to tune in and uh, either way, we'll be talking to you again next week. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you then.